Hello and welcome to this episode of With Miska podcast. And today my guest is Ashley Scott Myers, and he's a director, screenwriter, producer, and a podcast host. The way I way I um, heard about him for the first time is that because I've been listening to his his podcast, SellingYourScreenplay.com, for a long time. So this is a great interview. And uh, he's going to tell about how indie filmmaking is when you're in America. So listen to his podcast, sellingyourscreenplay.com, and listen to this podcast. And uh, my film, Insanity, that's actually now out also on DVD in America. You can watch it uh, streaming in Finland and uh, and America and in many in some other countries already, but we actually got some physical DVDs, so they are being really they have just been released. And enjoy my talk with Ashley Scott Myers. Hi everyone, welcome to With Miska Podcast. And my guest here today is Ashley Scott Myers. Thank you for being here. I'm I'm so glad to have you here. I'm uh, I've been listening to your podcast selling your screenplay for a couple of years. Uh, every week. Oh, good. Yeah, thank you. So I'm a big fan. So can you tell a little bit about yourself? What do you do and all that? Sure. So, um, you know, I'm like a lot of guys. I grew up loving movies. And um, after college, I just decided to move out. I grew up on the East Coast of the United States, Annapolis, Maryland, to be specific. I just moved out here. Now it's well over 20 years. I graduated from college in the mid-90s. You know, didn't really have anything to do after college. Me and a buddy just put all our stuff in a pickup truck, drove out here. You know, we didn't know anybody in L.A. We got an apartment, got, you know, low-level jobs, and slowly just started writing scripts and trying to get some stuff done. Done. Um, and we had been here about three years. My buddy was really more of a musician, but as we were going along, he got more into filmmaking and screenwriting. Um, and so we wrote a script together called Dish Dogs. And I'd written a bunch of scripts by myself. And I actually, I had written the first 10 pages to a script, which I called Dish Dogs in college. I had this idea for it. And um, and I showed it to my buddy, Nate, who ended up co-writing it with me. And he always liked it. So he always encouraged me to write it. And I said, oh, well, let's in. So as I well, let's write it together. So we did. And we ended up getting this script optioned. As I said, we had been out in LA about three years. And I was just submitting at that point to um, anybody who would read it, frankly. But back then in the mid-90s, I found... um, Or I guess at this point, it's the late 90s. So we're talking 97, 98. um, I found... um, in the back of the trades, back then it was Hollywood Reporter, Daily Variety, it was a publication called Backstage West, Dramalogue. They would put out these notices in the cl- and they had like a classified section and they would sometimes, production companies would put in notices, we're looking for a script like this or a script like that. And I just started sending those out really, really persistently. Every week I would go to the public library and get all of these publications and go through them all and get the, get the leads and send off to them. And I started to actually get some... Uh, you know, some responses from people just at first, you know, you maybe get a phone call. Okay. Yeah, sure. Send the script. But it was enough to kind of encourage me where I thought, okay, there's actually some people out here. You know, I had some phone calls with people and every now and then I would get like someone reading my script and they would like it. And, you know, I'd get a meeting or something. And, you know, I mean, these were really like low level meetings, but this was like when I first got to LA, there was this one guy. And again, this is like, now we're talking mid to late nineties. He was doing films. And back then you had to shoot them in, you know, 1996. 
mistakes. You had to shoot these things on 35 millimeter. The, the video was not to, to the point where it is now. So films were much more just laborious and expensive. This guy was shooting movies on like $50,000 budgets, just these super low budgets, 16 millimeter films. And he read one of my scripts and he almost, this was like the almost hired. He calls me in and he has a script that he wanted rewritten or maybe he had a synopsis or something. He wanted to turn it into a script. And um, he only had $2,000. He was gonna pay me $2,000 to do a, a complete screenplay and I was happy to do it. Um, but I didn't get the job. You know, yeah, it came down to me and one other guy and I didn't get the job, but it was enough to kind of encourage me. You know, I wasn't having any actual success, but I was just, I was meeting people and I felt like this is a strategy that could work. So I just kept doing it. Eventually I did start to option scripts that way. And eventually I optioned a script that actually got made. And that script was Dish Dogs. And it took a lot of submissions and it took a good number of years. I probably did that for at least a year or two. And when I say I went there every single week, I didn't miss a week. You know, Christmas, Thanksgiving, it didn't matter. I was still down there those weeks. I didn't take vacation. Every week I was down there making those submissions and eventually they paid off. Um, and that's kind of what got me going. Or, or did they pay off? I did eventually um, get Dish Dog sold that way. And um, so once that one got made, then I started to figure out, okay, well, what else can I do to start getting my movies into production? I did the indie route. Me and the same friend, Nate, and another friend of ours, Douglas DeMarco, we went and did a really low budget, like sub $10,000 feature film called Reunion. Um, but I just, all along, I was optioning screenplays um, all through the late 90s into the 2000s that I had some screenplays options. So just over the course of time, I started to sort of expand my marketing approach. I started getting stuff. Nowadays, it's IMDb Pro, but back then there was something called the Hollywood Creative Directory. You would get that and that would list production companies with addresses and fax numbers. And I just started sending those out, faxing those, just anything you know I could do to just get stuff out there. And um, you know, just over the course of just sheer brute force, you know, it wasn't my brilliant writing. It was just my, my, you know, just constantly making submissions. You know, I eventually got some scripts produced and um, got some scripts options sold and produced. And um, I would say about maybe three, four, five years ago, before I did my first film as a writer, director, producer, which is The Pinch, um, you know, I was just, again, I wasn't, I never really made it to that level where I was getting the studio projects where I could really really make a good living as a writer. It was just, you know, some years I would do okay, but most years I really wouldn't make much money at all as a writer. So I just, and it wasn't particularly creatively fulfilling. Um, you know, these movies that were getting, Dish Dogs is a prime example, the one I mentioned. I had another film noir mystery that um, it was, my version was called Inheritance. It ended up getting sold and produced. It's now out there called Rush Lights. Um, all of these projects, you know, I was the writer, but the, the finished movies didn't even really come close to um to kind of my vision for the film. And so in two or in 2015, I um well actually so so taking a step back. So so I just kept getting scripts out there and getting more and more frustrated with the process. So then in about 2016, 2015, um, I got, you know, it was actually probably my best year in terms of screenwriting. I sold a script, I sold a spec script, did okay on that. I got two writing assignments like back to 
back-to-back. I had a writing assignment and then another. You know, these were paid writing assignments. They didn't pay me very much, but they were, you know, legitimate paid writing assignments from, you know, producers and stuff. And um, it was just kind of the same story. Um, you know, I did these two writing assignments. One of them never got produced, okay. The other one got produced. And it just, it, I, it, it had very little to do with my ideas or me even being a writer. They just kind of, the, the producers, they needed kind of a first draft and then they got a director involved and the director completely wrote it. I've never even seen the movie, but it was just, it was completely creatively unfulfilling. So I always sort of had in the back of my mind, I had done this movie reunion um, with my buddies Nate and Douglas DeMarco back in the 90s. Um, I'd done some shorts over the years. My buddy Nate, who I mentioned was writing, uh, who I wrote Dish Dogs with, he had, he's gone off and, and he's written, directed, and produced a bunch of feature films, um, you know, frankly, at bigger budgets than, than what I've ever worked on. Um, but it just encouraged me. I, like I'm saying, hey, you know, if my, you know, my buddy Nate can do it. Why can't I do it? And, um, you know, I was just getting more and more frustrated just with sort of the process of being a low-level screenwriter where you write these scripts. And the thing about, people don't fully understand, but this, you know, low-level screenwriting, sort of these, these genre movies that you see on Netflix where you never really heard of them, but they're there. And some of them are okay, some of them are not. But those, the screenplays are of very little significance to most of those producers. They they just, you know, they fit a particular piece. They, they need a genre, they need a comedy or something. They just, they get the best one they can, but there's very little time even spent on making sure the script is good. So, of course, most of these movies don't, don't turn out being all that good either. So, I just decided, you know what, I'm going to write something, direct it, produce it myself, and kind of see where that takes me. So, in 2016, I did that. I wrote this very low budget movie, and it was sort of a Reservoir Dogs inspired film where, you know, most of it took place in one house. Um, you know, there were some peripheral locations, but it all kind of centers on this one house. So I just, I used what I had, um, which is not really a lot. Um, the, the house we shot the pinch at is actually my wife's grandfather's house. Um, so I had some assets like that. We shot at my parents' townhouse. That's the main protagonist and his wife live in this little townhouse. That was my parents' townhouse here in LA. So I just used whatever I could um, to, to, to save money. And we shot this thing. I did a Kickstarter for it. And um, we raised about $12,000 on Kickstarter. And I ended up just putting in some of my own money. I got a couple other friends to kick in money. But all in, we had about, I did that move for about $32,000. And as I said, about 12 of it was Kickstarter. So there's about $20,000 um, of hard money into it. And then, um, you know, I just went out there and I tried to get distribution for it. Um, and then over the course of, of doing that movie, I've met some more, you know, filmmakers, producers, whatever. And um, so I decided to do my second film um, at a slightly higher level. Um, as I said, we were at about $30,000 for the pinch. This I just completed shooting last December a movie called The Rideshare Kill which I, again, I wrote, directed, and co-produced um, with a fellow named Tony Greenberg is somebody I met in the last couple of years. Um, and so we did this We did this film. We just went and did this film, and we did it on about a $75,000 budget. So significantly higher than, than the pinch, but still a very modest film. Uh, but we did get one name actor. We got Eric Roberts in it. Um, we were happy about that. He did a great job, and I, I can tell you he's great to work with. So if anybody's looking for you know a, a name actor who will work on low-budget projects, I definitely would encourage you to reach out to his management because, um, you know, if the project is right and the schedule is right, um, he will definitely um, 
considerate, um, and he was great to work with. So, um, so you know, I'm just slowly trying to. I've kind of, I, and I really don't spend a lot of time now trying to get an agent for my writing or trying to send out scripts. I probably should, but I'm just busy with other stuff. Um, but I kind of think now that's the direction of, of, of my my career is I'm just going to continue to write, direct, and produce these films. And frankly, if I can't raise money, I'm I'm going to do just one whatever budget I can do. I'll just get my get my camera and just go shoot them um, with my friends and 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 whatever. If I can go up budget and get raise more money and do bigger films, I'll do that. But if I can't, I'm just going to go make the movies. I really think for myself, um, you know, that's kind of been the most fulfilling part of this for me is I just genuinely like making, creating things and 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 being the writer, director, and 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 producer of these things. Um, for whatever reason, that's that you know gets my juices flowing. So I kind of think that's where where I'm going to head. I just I've never really had the success as a writer, and I think part of it is my personality. Um, I just I just don't really have that much a desire to be a part of a team and and you know write stuff that I don't really believe in or anything like that. It's just it's um, there's easier ways to make money is kind of how I feel about it. Yeah, uh, first I got to know you from uh, your selling your screenplay podcast, and uh, I, I thought that your main thing is being a writer about from a couple of directing gigs. But this is interesting. Mm -hmm. You said that maybe not. Well, it is. I mean, I, I've spent, you know, the last 20 plus years really trying to sell scripts, you know, with some modest success. I've sold a bunch of scripts. So that really was the focus. Um, you know, I've never considered myself like a people person. I've never really been particularly outgoing. So I always sort of had this idea in my mind that to be a director, you know, you got to be a people person because you're working with the actors, you're working with the DP, you're working with the producer and this. And, and so you need that sort of outgoing personality. I just I've never really had this. So I never really identified, oh, I could be a director. And, you know, producing, frankly, it's similar too. It's really, you got to be outgoing and a people person because, you know, you're not the creative force necessarily behind a movie, but you are the business force and you're you're getting everything lined up and you have to know how to communicate with people, relate to people, and frankly, just get people to believe in what you're doing. Um, and so I just, you know, on the pinch, as I said, I just, um, I was nervous that first day like the the thing was so low budget you know I wasn't paying a lot of people and I just showed up the first day and I remember thinking are you know half these people I'd never met them the people that I you know hired as my free crew I just I was placing Craigslist ads and I was finding like if I go to Starbucks and meet people in LA it takes me half the day and half the time I meet them and then they say no I don't want to be in the project once I don't know they just these people would, you know there was no money so they would flake out a week or two later so oh, I got another gift so I just stopped even doing that. I would just interview them on the phone. I put Craigslist ads. So half of, more than half, probably three quarters of my my crew and cast, more than that, you know, five, six, most of the cast and crew on the pinch were people I didn't know before working on that project. They were just people I found. I'm in LA, so there's a good talent pool here in LA. That's the advantage of being in LA. Um, but I didn't know most of the people that worked on that. And I remember the first day, I'm like, you know, are these people going to show up? You know, I don't know any of these people. And 
you know, nobody didn't show up. All my actors, I never had any problems with actors. The only, and, and ironically, my AD, and he's actually a good friend of mine now, Gavin, um, he's also an actor. And um, when we were going into the pinch, he's this, oh yeah, there's always going to be some actors that, you know, they flake out and we'll have to do some rescheduling. We didn't have a single one except for Gavin. Gavin had a small role. And it was one day I think he had to go for an audition. But everybody, you know, the people in LA in general that want to be in the business, um, it's, it's unlike any other industry I've been a part of in the sense that everybody, if you can just inspire them a little bit to believe that we're going to make something cool, people, that's what people move. They, they rearrange their lives. They move to LA. That's really what most of the people here in LA want. I mean, obviously we all want to make lots of money and get paid to be creative and stuff. But at the end of the day, we all just want to be a part of something cool. So that was really the lesson I learned from the pinch is just, you know, stand up, be a leader. And, um, you know, I don't have any skills or, or personality type to be a leader and, and to feel confident and to be that alpha male on the set. I'm not, I'm not really that guy, you know, but, but I am, you know, mature and responsible and smart enough just to stay on task. And that's really all it takes, you know, just give people a little direction. And, um, everybody was super cool and, and super fun to work with. And a lot of the people from the pinch, you know, they rolled over to the rideshare killer. And I used a lot of the people, the same people on the rideshare killer. So, um, and I'll continue that will be continued. Gavin is a prime example. I met him through the pinch. He's not anybody I ever knew. We bonded, we'd become friends and, um, and I've used them on the rideshare killer and I fully expect to use them on, on probably my other films. And, and that's really something to, to realize is that, you know, these relationships that you build are really the foundation to, to going to be the foundation to whatever career, whether it be writing, acting, being a cinematographer, whatever. Um, you gotta, you gotta relate to people and, and get to know people and not in like a superficial, you know, suck up brown nosing way. Um, just be yourself and, you know, some of the people you're not going to hit it off with and you're not going to relate to, but hopefully some of the people you do relate to and, and you form those bonds and those friendships and, and, and that's what's going to carry the day. <coughs> so what's the Anyways, I'm rambling, first? but no, no, this is exactly why we're here. You, you can speak. Okay, perfect. This is, yeah. So this is great. This is awesome. So before Pinch, had you directed anything? Not really. I mean, I think I had done a short or two. I did an animated short. Um, my dad was always sort of artistic. And so me and my dad, I just, I threw it out there one day. Hey, can you, can you draw some of these characters? So I did an animated short and I got the voices and stuff. But really, I think um, if I was to give someone advice, like where did I get the confidence to go and just do a feature film? I think Mainly, I think it came from doing that low, low, low budget film in the 90s called Reunion that I mentioned. And it was just me, my buddy Nate, and Doug DeMarco. And there was, I mean, we spent less than $10,000. And that included about $3,000 we spent on the camera. So all we paid for was like food and tape stock and, you know, just the real bare necessities, you know, seven, dollars $8,000. But I just saw that was enough just to say, you know what, it may not be a great movie but I can get it done. I can go and I can just accomplish this and hopefully with each film I'll get better. Um, and I think that's the way we really need to look at this thing. Whether you're doing shorts or whether you're doing a feature or a web series or whatever you, you start out with, you know, don't beat yourself up. I mean, I, I, I'd be happy to send Reunion. It's, it's not a great movie. Um, I mean, it's it, we shot it on mini DV 
back in 1997 or 98 or whatever. And, um, you know, it doesn't look great, um, doesn't sound great. It's, it's, it's just not a good movie, but it, 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 and it didn't really, you know, it didn't really go anywhere. It wasn't like the Blair Witch Project or Clerks or Brothers, one of these indie films that took off. But I look back on that experience and, um, and, and it was just a great experience. And that, I think, really was the, the foundation for the pinch. I did in the back of my mind know that I probably could pull it off. It may not, the pinch may not be the greatest movie you've ever seen, but it is a finished movie. And it is up on Amazon Prime. So if anybody wants to go check it out, I highly encourage you go to Amazon Prime and you can definitely watch it. Um, but I think that's where, where sort of the confidence came from. The other thing is, and you've mentioned this a little bit, and I shouldn't, we shouldn't shortchange it, is that throughout this whole process, um, as I mentioned, I've been selling scripts and stuff, but at some point in the 90s, I got a job as a web developer, and um, so I kind of had that background as as well, and I set up a website for myself, and so I was working as a web developer in the late 90s, early 2000s, and just involved with, you know, companies, startups, and that sort of stuff too, so I do think that I got sort of a business background, and I've started numerous businesses of my own. Some of them have made no money, they've lost me money, some of them have done okay, and in fact, a movie, myself, I keep mentioning my same buddy, Nate. Um, we actually set up a, a website um, years ago um, and we ended up selling it. it, was a, it he was in the, he was, um, had a business parting out boat motors and we actually set up this website selling boat motor parts and we sold it within a year and we actually took the profits from that and dumped them into this movie, Man Overboard. We put a lot of that money in, and we ended up funding a lot of, of, the, of the movie, Man Overboard. So, um, you know, again, I'm just constantly trying to just push everything, every Everything I know about into that same thing and at some point probably around 2005 maybe 2007 maybe it was later, maybe it was 2009, I started selling your screenplay, and that wasn't really intended to be a, um, a, blog, a blogger. It was intended really just to sell. I, wrote, I just sat down one day and wrote an e-book, how, how to Sell Your Screenplay, and I basically just took all of my knowledge from just selling screenplays, and my knowledge too is, is I feel like it's unique in that so much advice, oh, well, get a good agent. How do you get an agent? I've sold all my scripts, optioned all my scripts. I've had agents and managers over the years but for the most part, all the sales, all the options have come as a direct result of me pushing my stuff out there. So it was always me pushing the stuff. Um, in any event, I think all of this sort of culminated with the pinch is that I've run businesses. I'm running Selling Your Screenplay. Now it's a business. So I've always felt like I'm pretty organized and stuff. So when I went into the pinch too, I know that I, I can keep track of the money. I can, you know, I know that I do have some of those just sort of very practical business skills. Um, so combined with the creative of writing the script and, and directing and stuff, I think it was a good sort of a, um, a dovetailing of a lot of the things that I've been doing for the last 20 years. So you basically answered this already, but I've been curious, like financially, how are you making it happen now? Do you have other businesses still? So, so I make, um, yeah, so I make some of my money as a screenwriter when I sell stuff, options stuff, get, get writing assignments, but that's fairly minuscule, especially the last couple of years when I haven't really been pursuing that. Um, I don't even remember the last time I optioned a script. I don't know, I do still occasionally option scripts, but I don't make a ton of money, frankly, from, from optioning the scripts. Um, but yes, I do. And you keep saying selling your screenplays, this podcast, and it's literally sellingyourscreenplay.com. And that is something your, your listeners could check out. And I have a weekly podcast there. 
and I've monetized it. I have a number of, of tools and services and stuff that screenwriters can pay for. And so that's part of my income for sure. And um, I do have other online businesses that I do also make money with. So that is part of my day to day is just running some of these other online businesses um, and then trying to push these films out as well. Um, but but no, I and I, I ask myself this. I mean, the amount of money I've earned from as a screenwriter compared to the amount of time I've put into it, I don't know that it's a, a good, you know, um, a good life choice that I've made. Um, you know, the amount of money, let's just put it to you like this, the amount of money I've made in my life from web development and running these websites and the amount of time, you know, I've spent this much time and made this much money, whereas screenwriting, I've spent this much time and made this much money. Um, so I think there's part of that, though. I think you have to be into the, the entertainment business for the right reasons because it's a slog. I mean, we always hear about the people that make tons and tons of money, and that's fantastic if you're one of those people that makes millions of dollars. But I just would really caution people to realize it's like you really haven't, you know, quote, made it in the entertainment industry unless you have enough money to retire right now because everybody's career could end tomorrow. Like nobody, even Spielberg, I mean Spielberg is one of those guys. He's got more money in the bank. If he never works again, he's good. So we can confidently say he's made it, but he may never direct another movie. You know, we just don't know what could happen to someone's career. I mean, obviously he's like the top of the key. So of course he's going to go direct movies, but you know, there's a tons, tons of examples of A-list directors. You do one or two bombs and your career's over. You know, that's sort of the reality of the business. Business. And so um, you just got to kind of be prepared for that. And you've got to realize, like, why am I doing this? If you're going into the entertainment industry to make money, oh, I want to be rich. Believe me when I tell you, there are much easier ways to be rich than going into the entertainment industry. Um, I mean, if you have some unbelievable talent, if you are just absolutely so gorgeous that people on the street just pull you over and say, my God, you're beautiful. If you have that kind of looks, sure, you got a good chance in Hollywood. If you're writing talent, if you're just from a little kid, you know, you're just, you have this writing talent, just everywhere you go, everybody raves, you're winning contests, you're winning awards from an early age, you just have this massive writing talent. Yes, give it a whirl. You know, you, maybe your talents are such that the entertainment industry is your best, your best fit. But for most of us that are, you know, reasonably smart, reasonably talented, um, if you're looking to make a lot of money, um, this is not the business for you. So about the pinch, you said that about, what was the budget? 20,000? No, I, all in, it was about $32,000, but about 12 of it was raised on Kickstarter. So that was 12, so about $20,000 of actual money. Can you go over when was it released and how has the... Has it, how much money has been coming in and how are you planning to communicate that to the yeah, investors? Sure. Yeah, so yeah, so that so so I'm the primary investor, so that's that's the good the good news and the bad news, I guess, for me. Um, so I did the typical thing. I mean, I'm running this podcast, the Selling Your Screenplay podcast, and um, so I'm in. You know, publicists are constantly reaching out to me with filmmakers' new films. So I'm very much attuned to, and I interview you know the people making movies like The Pinch and like Rideshare Killer, low budget genre films is the people I'm 
I'm interviewing. So I'm pretty well versed in who these distributors are. And frankly, a lot of them know who I am. So I did the typical thing. I sent my film out to all these distributors and a lot of them were perfectly happy to take it. Um, but I never was particularly confident that any of them would actually pay me money if they took it. I mean, none of them were giving me what's called in the video you know, an MG, a minimum guarantee, or the minimum guarantees I was getting were so low that it wasn't really even worth talking about. Um, so I so I just decided to do do-it-yourself um, distribution, at least in, in, in the United States and Canada. So I have a sales agent I got for Europe and, and the rest of the world. I guess I North America, basically I'm doing myself. And then I got a sales agent for the rest of the world. The sales agent, I've now had him for well over a year, year and a half. He's had zero sales. Every now and then I'll get an email from him. So I need to reach out to him and see what he's doing. Um, uh, so sorry I'm, to so interrupt. Most, uh, when, when was this released? Can you say that and then continue, please? Yeah, um, I would say 2018. I mean, you can look on IMDb. I'm trying to think. I think that's kind of when I... That's, we're in that's good enough. I just now. wanted the year. That's yeah, it, it was 2018 or 19. I, now I'm just getting a little hazy. I'm not with COVID too. I just like my my life is it's like Groundhog Day every day around here. So the bottom line has been a year or two. Um, but so what I did basically for distribution, I use a service called Bitmax, which is one of these aggregators and you just pay them about, I think I paid them about $1,200 and they'll put it on a number of these platforms, including Amazon, iTunes, Vudu, Google Play, a number of these on-demand platforms. Some of them are subscription, like Amazon Prime, meaning subscription, meaning people don't pay per view. They pay a monthly subscription and can see it. So, but like Hulu and Netflix are not included in that. Those are very very difficult nowadays to get onto. Their, their push is really towards original content more than low budget genre films. But Amazon's happy to have you, iTunes, some of these services. So I use Bitmax. They've been pretty good. I mean, their, their record keeping is not great. I go in there some days and it doesn't look like there's any sales, but then they'll still send me checks. So I, I, I'm not always clear that their record keeping is all that good, but, um, I know that my film is doing roughly as well as other films because I talk to other filmmakers and I'm happy to talk about that too. So I've been up on Amazon Prime for at least a year and a half, let's say. And I think I've made most of the money is come from Amazon Prime, but iTunes, Vudu Play, these other Vudu and Google Play, they're involved in these. But I'm probably at about $6,000 is what I've actually recouped of the $20,000. And I'm still getting checks. So, you know, I don't think I'll ever actually recoup the full amount. But um, I bet I get to half of it. I bet I bet all in. I bet I eventually get to the $10,000. I mean, I get about $10,000. That would be about half of what my actual budget was. I mean, you never know. I mean, I have this sales agent. So, I mean, he could get a deal for $3,000 or $6,000. You know, he could come up with a deal or two. So, you never know. But my guess is my own efforts will peter out probably before the $10,000 mark. Can you talk about the different ways the films are distributed? I'm talking about TVOD, AVOD and all that to someone who doesn't know the difference. And how? which one yeah. did you choose? Yeah, so you see these terms thrown around and, and, um, there's the SVOD, which as I said is subscription VOD. And that's like Amazon Prime, Netflix, Hulu. People pay a monthly fee. So when you get paid on those, typically, like if you cut a deal with Netflix for a subscription, they're just gonna, they're gonna pay you X number of dollars and they're gonna have the right to play their, your movie on their platform for whatever date range you guys negotiate. Um, same thing with Hulu. With Amazon Prime though, 
it's subscription VOD, but they're, they're running a meter. So they're looking at the number of minutes that people are watching your movie. And there's some algorithm they have. I think it's like, like maybe three cents a minute or maybe it's a third of a cent a minute. I don't know. It's some minuscule amount per minute. So if you can get people to watch your movie, the more you get people to watch, the more you get. Okay, so that's subscription VOD. There's TVOD, which is transactional VOD. And that's when you basically, you go to iTunes, you go to Amazon, you pay $2.99, and then you can watch that movie for 48 hours or 72 hours or whatever. But, but you're basically like renting it. And that's why it's a transactional type of a thing. And then there's the other one, um, and it's it's a VOD, and that's ad B, VOD, and that's advertising supported VOD. Now there's a lot of these platforms around, but none of them have. And my from my experience of what I've heard from filmmakers, I get tons of these people coming to me. Oh, throw it up on our platform. We're we're ad supported, you know. We're, and so we'll give you 50% of the revenue that your film generates. But the problem, and maybe there's some good ones out there. I've never actually heard of one that actually generates some real revenue for the filmmakers, but maybe they're out there. Maybe I haven't stumbled onto them. The problem with those is that, you know, they're, they're kind of a mishmash. And I don't know about you, but like, if I'm going to watch something, like I'm already paying for Hulu, Netflix, Amazon Prime. So like, I'm not going to go do a, an AVOD channel. And there's some of them, I see them pop up on my Roku. Um, I think Crackle might be that way. I don't know if Crackle's even still around, but there was a bunch of them every now and then I'll check out. In fact, I think Roku even has one. And I think Roku's own films, I think they're ad supported. So I think they just inject ads into it. Um, but I just, I've never heard of any that actually make decent money for filmmakers. Um, so I don't know. I don't have a lot of experience on that. What I did, you know, the, the, the conventional wisdom on this stuff is that you know, like the studios, you know, they have a very much a sort of a windowing. Okay, we're going to do a theatrical release, then we're going to do our transactional VOD, and then we'll do our subscription VOD. And, you know, they, they are, um, well funded. They have years of experience. And this is the other thing that people don't fully appreciate. They have connections to the distributors. They have relationships with the distributors already. And so they're able to get good information about the trends. They're able to talk to the distributors. They're able to talk to the, the, the theater owners, the, you know, the CEOs of these theater companies. And so they're, they have a lot more information than we have. Like they're just, they're operating at a different level. And so I just, and, and the main thing in my thinking was, I don't have a big advertising or marketing budget. So when the theaters do this, you know, that, that advertising budget for the theatrical, that's going to help push them into the, you know, these other windows because people are going to hear about the movie. I didn't have enough money to make my film uh, uh, you know, heard of by people. So I felt like I was going to get one bite at the apple. Basically, I'm going to go out for my marketing, my film. I'm obviously going to talk about it on my own podcast, but I'm going to go on podcasts like yours. I'm going to, that's going to be my marketing for my film. So what I felt like was, I'm not going to, like, if, if somebody hears me and wants to watch the film and they go to Amazon and it's only available as transactional VOD, they're not going to see it. And they're not going to remember me or my film, The Pinch, in three months when it becomes available on subscription VOD. So what I did, I just, I knew I was going to only do one marketing push. I just released the hatches. It was available on transactional VOD and subscription VOD all at the same time. Now, my buddy Nate, who I'm talking, who I keep talking about, he just did a documentary and I need to have lunch with him and do a little more comparison. But I talked to him on the phone a week or two ago and it seemed like he had, he did, he didn't do that. 
He did the window. He did the um, the transactional VOD first, and then he did. And I don't even know if he's gotten to subscription VOD. I'm not sure, but it's a documentary, so it's a little bit of a different film. But the bottom line is, he saw some significant revenues. I don't say significant. It, I don't think he's gotten to six thousand dollars yet, but I think he's made at least he made a lot more money. Let's put it to you like that. Of the six thousand dollars that I mentioned that I've made from from these various platforms, ninety five percent of it is Amazon. S subscription VOD, 95% of it. And he has made some decent money off the transactional. So maybe I did it wrong. I really don't know. Maybe I should have done the transactional first, but he also hasn't done as much marketing as me. So his has been a little bit more organic. He did a bunch of Facebook ads and stuff. I don't know. Maybe he was able to get it that way. I really don't know, but I need to have a conversation with him, but I don't, I may have done it wrong, but that was my thinking was just release it. And then whatever marketing I can do, at least people will will be able to get the film however they want to get it. So they're not going to have to remember it in three months to come back because they're not going to hear from me again. Well, I'm the next question is I'm also asking for myself, but I think it's for you mainly too. Okay, so you made the film, you got $6,000 back and uh, you have a bigger film with the star. What's the budget for the ride share killer? Sixty thousand? It's about about yeah, about seventy-five thousand is what we're at there. So that's already so big amount. How how are you gonna do with the finances after with that film? Well, so that's a good question. I mean, one of the things, and this is the this is the real point of the pinch and the rideshare killer. So one of the things I've realized from doing my podcast really is I have these filmmakers on and I'm seeing these low budget films getting made and and they're coming from a lot of the same distributors. And what I'm what I've realized and I've had some of these distributors like I've actually said, "Hey, will you come on my podcast?" and I've interviewed them and I've interviewed the producers and stuff. And so what you need to do as a filmmaker is you need to build a relationship with one of these not one, multiple of these these low-level distributors. And so with the pinch, as I said, I reached out to these distributors. They didn't give me what I thought was going to be a great deal, but I'm on their radar. I met with a lot of them. I had phone calls with a lot of them. I emailed with a lot of them. So I'm starting to build that relationship with them. So on this one, it's a little bit of a higher level. We've got, you know, I mean, Eric Roberts is an Academy Award nominated actor. So we have, you know, it looks like, you know, this is a legitimate film. We had a good crew, you know, blah, blah, blah. But that's really the goal. And I've told the other investors up front, the chances of us making our money back is very, very slim. However, we're going to have a cool film that we can show people. And we're trying to build the relationships with these distributors. And so that's really the key. Am I going to make my money back? I hope I do. And you never know. Like That's the thing. I mean, hopefully the movie is good enough that one of these distributors will like it enough, take it, and I will make my money back. But the main thing I want to do with this is just show these distributors, hey, I made another film. What do you think of this one? Ah, they don't like it, but I'm again, I'm I'm on their radar again, and they're starting to learn who I am. And eventually, hopefully, I make a film that they like, and they look at. It, they say, "Wow, this actually is pretty good." Keep in mind too, I'm getting better as a filmmaker. I'd never really directed anything before the pinch, so I feel like I'm getting better, and I'm understanding how all of this works. Just technically speaking, the lighting, the cameras, the lenses, you know, the focus, just all of that stuff. I'm understanding a lot just by doing these films. So, to answer your question, what are we gonna do? We're going to get a distributor, and this one is big enough. See, with the pinch, I didn't feel any real 
necessity to make my money back. I knew what my goal with the pinch was and most of the money was my money, but the other people that threw in money, I told them, you know, it's like, hey, we're doing this just to try and get our career to the next level. We're not trying to make our money back. So people were aware of that going into it. And I frankly think the pinch served its purpose for that. I did get to know some of these distributors more. And so when I show up with another film and now I've you know, directed two films. The other little caveat I would like to put in there is that this movie that I was talking about, remember I said I got two of these back-to-back -back writing assignments? Um, one of them was the film. The film that actually got made was this movie called Snake Out of Compton. You can actually go, go watch it. It's available somewhere. I think I actually saw it on Netflix. It was available on Netflix at one point. Don't quote me on that. Um, but in any event, when I was doing the writing for those guys, and these guys are just two, you know, producer, just they're really more sales agents than they are anything else, but they're trying to produce content themselves. They're doing really low budget films. Um, one of the things I realized from having conversations with them, and just not even having conversations, just being in the room while they had conversations was I could see how I could see their thought process of hiring a director. And remember I said with this snake out of Compton, they completely rewrote. It. And, you know, to be honest, like, like, was their version better than my version in this? Like, who knows, really? Like, you know, I think my version was better. I'm sure they think their version was better. But at the end of the day, why did they hire that guy to direct the movie that I wrote? They hired him because he had a bunch of experience directing films. I didn't at the time. And so that's another sort of piece to this is that I know now, I've, I, and now I've directed two films. So now when I get in those meetings, when I get in those situations where, where producers are talking about, well, who should we get to direct this thing? I can inject myself legitimately. It's not just, hey man, throw me a bone and let me direct this film. It's like, hey, I am a director. I've directed two feature films. How about I direct it? And hopefully by the time this rolls around, I might have directed three or four or five feature films. And so I'm injecting myself into those conversations in a legitimate manner. I'm not just some dude that thinks he can direct. I've actually gone and directed these films. So, so there's a whole bunch of things that these films do for us that are not necessarily about recouping the money. And I want to bring this to, to the next thing. And, and, and this is a conversation maybe you and I off, off camera at some point will have. Um, a lot of these low budget films, this is just something that's a reality of these films. Because you're asking a very good question. How are you going to make your money back? The reality is a lot of these low budget films, they don't make their money back. Like not a lot of them. Probably 99% of them don't make their money back. Even, even movies that are bigger than mine, that have bigger stars than mine, have a lot of stars. They don't make their money back 99% of the time. So how are those movies funded? In a lot of cases, those movies are funded by the actors and other people involved in the crew. Actors are the most prevalent. It's not that uncommon to have a fairly wealthy, you know, 60-year-old man who's had success in some sort of business venture. He's kind of semi-retired now. He always fancied himself an actor, and he's willing to put in money to be in a film. And this is not an uncommon thing. And you you go and look at a lot of these low-budget films and just look at the movies coming through my my podcast, go and look at some of the actors and see if they also get an executive producer credit. That's how you'll kind of identify these things. And it's it's very, very typical. People don't like to talk about this. They always, oh, my script was so good. The actor, he loved my script. No, it's a rich guy that wanted to be in a, in a, in a movie. And and I hate to say you know that in, in such sort of cold terms because we want to make cool stuff. We want to be creative and stuff. But a lot of it is, it's about getting value 
for the people that are involved with your film. And so that's what I've done with these films. I mentioned that I co-produced The Rideshare Killer with a fellow named Tony Greenberg. He is a retired doctor. He has some money to invest in something like this. But really, he wants to become a producer. He's a retired doctor. He wants to be a producer. So that's that's what I'm offering the guy. I'm not, I didn't go to him and say, well, we're going to make your money back. Plus, we're going to double your money, and you're going to be rich, and we're going to be great. I went to him. I said, listen, we're going to make this movie, and we're going to do the best movie we can with the resources we have. There's a good chance we're not going to make the money back. But guess what? You're going to get a credit, a producer credit, and you're going to take your career to that next level. As a guy who wants to be a producer that hasn't produced anything, he needs that credit. And so that that's what I'm offering that is value. I keep mentioning this friend of mine or the other people on the pinch that invested in the pinch. One of the people that invested a few thousand dollars in the pinch is a buddy of mine from college, um, E.J. Hofferman. You can go look him up. He's been in a bunch of my movies and he kicks in a little bit of money. He's just a finance guy. He was an accounting major. He's a finance guy. But he just thinks it's fun to come and kick in a few bucks and I give him a small role in the film. But he understands that we're probably not going to make the money back, but he gets value out of that. It's fun for him. It's uh, He comes on set. He hangs out. He gets to be involved in this cool project. So I think as filmmakers, we have to understand why people are investing in films. And if it's purely for an ROI, that's a recipe for disaster. And I talk to these other producers that you know are more salesy than me. They're more, and they'll you know promise the world and overpromise and underdeliver. And then you have problems with your investors. Your investors are threatening to sue you, or your investors are angry and this. And it's like, I can just tell you, as someone who's been doing this for a while, if someone comes to you and says, "We're going to do a low budget movie," and oh my God, we're going to make so much money, I got this. They're, they just they either a are lying to you, or b they are are you know almost criminally naive in saying that. There is no guarantees. And you hear that so often in Hollywood where someone has this film and, you know, a little independent film and, oh, how'd you get it? Oh, you know, this guy invested because he believed in the project. And, like, what does that mean? You believe in the project. It just simply means you don't know what the hell you're doing because no independent project really has great there's not really a, a template or, or a great prospects for any independent film. Some independent films do go on to make a lot of money. Some of them do okay. But just to be a guy making a film with no experience, you can't, like if you say, I believe in the project, that really is code for you have no idea what you're doing. Thank you. The reason why I'm asking is this, because I'm pretty happy with my life and I get to create. I just did my first feature film, Insanity. and I'm happy with what I'm able to do, but the one thing that I would like to change is that there would be more income coming from the things that I do, especially in the filmmaking side. So I'm trying to reach to that next level, and I'm not totally sure what, what actions I should yeah. take. So, and I feel and, that you're so, in the same yes. position with the filmmaking aspect. Yeah. Yeah, and so, so, and, and that's the thing. This is the other thing that really, really think long and hard about this is that the other thing about the pinch. So let's say there's $20,000 in hard dollars on that thing and I've made back $6,000. Think it through a little bit more though. I've got selling your screenplay. I'm coming on podcasts like this. I'm promoting the pinch, but really what I'm doing is I'm promoting sellingyourscreenplay.com and I've got sellingyourscreenplay.com heavily monetized. So the other way I look at, I looked at the pinch, it becomes a marketing vehicle for selling your screenplay. 
www.ethicsgreenplay.com. And it, if you go and you look at some of the products and services that I'm selling, it doesn't take that long to get to $20,000. And so it's like if I can, you know, so maybe there's other ways of making money off of these films that's not just how much did Amazon pay me. And I'll never know exactly how much residual income I made from selling your screenplay by doing the pinch or the rideshare killer, but I know there's definitely some because I'm on your podcast and I guarantee you at least one person will listen to this podcast, check out my site and they might buy some of my services. And there so but but really people are interested in talking about the pinch. So I think as filmmakers we have to really expand our thinking in terms of how we're going to make money on this. And I I'm I'm a big believer in Kickstarter because I look at Kickstarter as a way of um, pre-selling your movie. Really, you're saying, here's the movie I'm going to make. Do you want to see it when it's finished? And, you know, you can charge 10 bucks or 20 bucks or whatever they can kick in for that. And, but if you build that following and, and, and then, then that's money that those, you know, you're getting that money up front and it's not money you have to pay back because those people are being a part of the project. And in some ways they're buying that early access to that film. And so that's another piece of this that I think could be part of independent filmmaking. You have an audience that you can go to Kickstarter. You have something that you can monetize around your filmmaking and you can get money from from the um the SVOD so the $32,000 on on the kicks on on the pinch 12 of it came from Kickstarter I've made back 6 so on things so that means there's there's $14,000 I can almost guarantee you I've made back at least oh I'm sure I've made more than $14,000 on the products I've sold through selling a screenplay by promoting the pinch so I didn't lose, you know, if you really look at it, I didn't lose money. I mean, these are the real business models of actual companies that are doing films. Look at what Disney does. I mean, I'm trying to do it on a smaller level, but look at what Disney does. I mean, they do they really care if Toy Story 4 makes a lot of money? Of course, they'd like it to make a lot of money, but they got amusement parks, they got toys, they got clothes, they got shoes. They have all of this peripheral stuff that they can make money. And really, I mean, at this point, Star Wars, I mean, there's Lego Star Wars and, Le and Star Wars cartoons and Star Wars toys and Star Wars lunchbox and Star Wars. Like, you know, they're probably making the bulk of their money from these peripheral things. And to me, that's really the model as filmmakers. We need to be independent filmmakers, independent of other stuff. And maybe getting some actors to put in some of their money is a piece of this. So maybe it's all of the above. Maybe to do that, you know, $200,000 or $500,000 film, maybe you got to get 100000 of it from Kickstarter. You got to get 100000 of it from the actors. You got to get 100000 from distributors. You got to get 100000 from you know, some other marketing channel. And I'm, I'll just start spitballing some ideas. You, you seem to be smiling as I'm saying this. So, so I'll just, I'll spitball some other ideas. Yeah. I'll give you an example. I thought of years ago, I thought, you know, what about writing a romantic comedy that centers around some sort of dating app? And then you go to the dating app, you go to Plenty of Fish and you say, listen, dude. And I, the reason I point out Plenty of Fish is because as someone who's in the online, uh, like I have an online business selling a screenplay. So I listen to a lot of these online, make money online, entre online entrepreneurial podcasts. And the guy that created Plenty of Fish is one of those guys that's out there. He started it himself. He was a coder and just doing things. So I know he's open to outside the box things. So that was sort of part of my thinking was, why not write a romantic comedy revolving around a particular dating app that really shows it as a good thing? You're not obviously going to show, you know, someone getting murdered using a, 
dating app, but a romantic comedy where it shows the positive aspects of a dating app and going to somebody like Plenty of Fish and saying, hey, what about you guys kicking in some money as almost a sponsorship and, and doing this film and We'll get it out there. And again, that could be, that could be a big, it could be a marketing piece for something like that. And I'll give you a real world example. I had a lady on my podcast. This was a documentary, but it was a documentary on a, on a race that they do on all the different continents. And so she went to like one of the, you know, the, the, it wasn't Gatorade, but I think it was a drink, some sort of, you know, energy drink type of a thing. And they kicked in like $50,000 and it wasn't an investment. It was a, it was just a advertising thing. So they didn't even have to pay that money back. So, they got that money to help get the film together. And I'm telling you, it's as you talk to producers at higher levels, there's a lot more of these sort of connections and things. It's not always about we raise this much money, we get this, this actor, and then we make this much money from HBO and Netflix and blah, blah, blah. These things are complicated, expensive projects, and you've got to have a much broader thinking uh, about it than just how much did you make on Amazon SVOD, because that's not going to... That's not going to ever get you over the finish line, in my opinion, as an independent filmmaker. Obviously, if you can pipe into studios, you get to the higher levels, they've already got all that infrastructure set up. And But then, again, then you become a piece of a machine. And so you're giving up creative control. And I never made it to the studio level. But, I mean, Dish Dogs, the movie, that first movie I sold, that was over. they spent over $2 million on that movie. They had Brian Dennehy, Sean Astin, Shannon Elizabeth. It was a pretty big movie. But I'm telling you, like, and then we made some decent money off it. Um, but I'm telling you, creatively, it was a disaster. Me and Nate didn't feel good about the experience. And so you have to really understand that. I'm going to take the approach, just I think part of it's my personality, but I'm taking the approach. I'm going to truly try and be independent. I'm going to try and figure out how to monetize this whole circle of things and, and not be dependent on somebody else saying, yeah, I like your script. Let's go do it. I'm going to say, I like my script and I'm going to have these skills ready to go and these, these avenues and these channels ready to go to get these things financed. And I'm working on my next film and I've got it. I think I've got it pretty well financed and it will be a little higher. It'll be like $125,000 level. And again, it's just a matter of putting all of these pieces together. That's, that's actually a really great idea. I, I didn't think about it that, that instead of thinking you as a filmmaker, you can think about yourself as a studio, like you compared yourself yeah. to Disney. Yeah. There's this guy, it's again, one of these online entrepreneurs that I used to listen to. Um, he was an Australian guy. Um, I think his name was James Shramko. And um, he had this whole thing, because every business at the end of the day, is there's some real similarities. And so in the online entrepreneur, you know, you can, you can go and you can create a business around Facebook, or you can create a business, like you can create a YouTube channel, and you can monetize YouTube. But whenever you do that, you're playing on somebody else's platform. And YouTube can just ban you. They can decide, well, we don't like this type of video and you just get banned. And obviously we can get into the weeds on, on all of YouTube's policies and stuff. But the bottom line is you're, you are always beholden to somebody else because you're on, you're playing in their sandbox. And this guy, James Schranko had this sort of idea and he called it own the racetrack. And I just always remembered that. And, you know, from his standpoint, it was like, you know, have, build, if you're going to build a business, 
Start with the website that you own and you control and then build an email list that you control and you own and use these other channels simply to market your stuff. And that's really the thing. The studios, they own the racetrack. And that's the bottom line is that once you go and play on their racetrack, you're beholden to them. Um, and that may not be a problem for some people. I mean, you know, I, I think I just have this sort of independent streak and, you know, go listen to like the script notes podcast. Um, John August is, is a, you know, pretty well-regarded high level screenwriter. John August runs the script notes podcast and listen to him talking every weekend. I never get a sense. I haven't listened in a couple of years, but I used to listen to that podcast and I never got a sense from him that he had these sort of existential dread about being a cog in a machine. But truthfully, yeah, he makes a lot more money as a screenwriter than me, but I doubt that he has any more creative fulfillment in his life than me, if that makes any sense. And so again, it's really just a matter of figuring out what, what do you, what, you know, there's no right answer. Like I'm not giving this as a prescription for what you should do or your listeners should do. I'm telling you what I'm doing and maybe there's some pieces you can use that, but it's going to, it's going to depend on your personality, your talents, where you want to go with your career and listening to your own gut and your own instincts and sort of figuring out who you are and where you're going to fit into this landscape. I'm, you know, I've just always been very, very self-motivated, very, very independent. I know that I am unusual in how independent I am. I mean, and you just said too, like, well, what do you do as a job? It's like, I, I'm disciplined enough that I don't have a boss. I just come in here. This is my office that you're looking at. And I come in here every day. I don't have anybody telling me what to do, or I need to do this or things. I have to come in here and I have to put that discipline on myself. So if that's not you, you know, being this independent producer like I'm prescribing, that may not be a good fit. You may need to partner with that guy or you may need to find that person in your life that can take care of that stuff. Um, there's things I can't do and so I need to find, you know, there's skills that I have, there's talents I have, but there's things that I don't, I can't do and I don't have and I need to find those people in my, bring those people into my life to help me with the things that I don't do well and hopefully they do those things well and they like doing them and so it becomes a good fit. But again, you got to listen to what you want to do, what you're good at, your talents, your skills, your ambition, and figure out the path. Um, but 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 I think for me, my path, at least in this at, th at this stage in my career, is um, is is just independently. Just that's that's what gives me the most fulfillment. That's really the bottom line. Is the thing that's given me the most fulfillment as a screenwriter, as a filmmaker, are my two films, The Pinch and and this one, The Rideshare Killer. I've had a great time. I, it's it's been the most fantastic time doing The Rideshare Killer because I did have a little bit of money to to get this thing done, and we had a, a good crew, you know, and we really could shoot a pretty good film. Uh, at least I think it's a pretty good film. So um, it 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 for me, that's the highlight of my career. Not this. Even though Dish Dogs was a $2 million movie or over $2 million movie, I think Rush Lights was over a million dollars. These were, you know, decent-sized production films. There's zero, zero creative fulfillment from those, those projects. For me, anyways. Maybe other people would, would get some creative fulfillment. Well, you are bringing up a good point. Like, where does art and whatever you want to say come into this uh, equation? Yeah, so so that that is you know that that is the thing, the war on art, and it's it's a constant battle, and that's the thing. Like I said, you know, I've earned so much more money in my life from these various web projects and websites that I've run, spent a lot less time than screenwriting. But I think there is there's something about the 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 entertainment industry, and there's something about creating something that can have a global influence. Not that you couldn't do that with a website or an app, but there's just there's something about that 
I don't know why that appeals to me. And believe me, I've told myself this a hundred times. If I was smart, I would, you know, jettison the filmmaking stuff and just do more of the web stuff because I make a lot more money. It's just, it's much easier to make money. Um, you know, in that field, but um, there's something about it that I do do enjoy and just gives me fulfillment. I guess what I'm going after is that um, uh, how do you choose the things that you write about, or is there any messages or anything that you want to convey with yeah. your art? Yeah, sure. So, um, so, so let's start out. Start out with the um, the first piece of that, and this is not really answer your question, but I I just address it as that. There are, I do start out with sort of some basic business realities. And this is a conversation me and Tony had, the producer on Rideshare Killer. I have another script. It's sort of a rom-com, a, sort of a, you know, it's about some YouTubers, sort of young rom-com. And, says, and me and Tony both liked that script better than my Rideshare Killer script. But we both felt that the Rideshare Killer script had a little bit better chances of getting making its money back. And we can talk about that or whatever, but that was definitely... And a part of the decision-making process was sort of the cold realities of just trying to make, give us our best chance of making our money back, give us our best chance of, of showing what we can do and get, finding an audience. So there's definitely always that in the back of my mind. Um, but just how do I approach these things? I mean, I, and this is, maybe this is why it's so painful for me. Um, another, another project that I did that went completely, at least in my opinion, off the rails, I got hired to do this movie called Ninja Apocalypse. And um, it actually did get produced and I was just brought in as the writer you know, whatever. They paid me a few bucks and I did get a credit. So I can't complain, but it was the same thing creatively. It just wasn't particularly fulfilling. And I remember the first time I had a meeting with them and driving home and, you know, it's, it's, you're in this sort of euphoric moment where you got millions of ideas and you're trying to just get them all down and stuff. And it's just, it's, it's, I'm driving home and I'm thinking, well, how can we elevate this? And, um, and, and I just was thinking like, what can we call it? It's like, you know, to ninja or not to ninja, that is the question. And, you know, sort of going back to, you know, the greatest line of Shakespeare, how can we elevate this thing and make this thing a piece? of art and I try to do that but you know no like it's I'm it it doesn't you know it gets pushed through the sausage grinder so I always go into these things trying to do something with artistic merit I mean you could definitely do it if you had the um I think if you just had the sort of the fortitude, but these low budget films, you're shooting them so quickly and there's just, there just wasn't any time. And I'll give you an example on this ninja apocalypse. So at one point I wrote a draft for them. They didn't like it. And I don't, not only didn't like it. They didn't think they could shoot it on the budget. Then they're like, okay, we got to do a new version. And it was a, it was a page one rewrite at this point. And the guys called Sorry, me up that? and you could tell I was. What, what's page one rewrite? What does it mean? A page one rewrite means you're just starting from scratch. So we had a complete draft, but it was just completely thrown out. It was a totally new premise, a totally new thing. Still about ninjas, but totally a new premise. Because they had talked to these distributors that were saying, okay, ninjas, we, we, we need some ninja films in the marketplace. Um, in any event, um, so I had to do this rewrite, and the guy could tell I was getting a little annoyed because I did a bunch of rewrites. Again, they're not paying me much. I did a bunch of rewrites on this first 
first draft and then they scrap it. So I was debating whether I should even do this next thing, but I could tell that they were getting close. I thought, eh, it's worth it. Even if I don't make that much money, it's worth it in the sense. And he was getting, a, I could tell, he's like, well, if you don't want to do it, we'll just find somebody else. And he basically said, you, we're going to give you like, it was a 10 page outline and I had three weeks to write the full script. And I had a vacation of one week scheduled in the middle of this three weeks. And he was like, well, if you can't do it, well, we're not going to, we're just going to find someone else who can. I said, oh, okay, I'll do it. I didn't even tell him about my vacation. I just wrote the entire script in two weeks and I handed it in and they seemed perfectly fine with it. So that's the point is that this this it's it just you get ground through the mud and it's just very demoralizing to try and put that much of yourself into a project when you know once it goes through the sausage grinder it's not going to be there so i do try and actually start out with really some artistic merit and we can talk about some of the things you know that i was exploring i mean the pinch is sort of in some ways a a metaphor for my own struggle it's this guy and you know in this case it's sort of the underworld of la or whatever this he's sort of this low level you know guy on the fringe of my of being a mobster and and he kidnaps the mobster and tries to become a mobster really through brute force and um he ties this guy up and stuff and um, so, you know, there's just, there's a lot of that stuff, the, the, the things that I feel in my own life, I do try and put them in, in into my movies. Um, I do try and make the characters as dimensional as possible. I mean, these things are not lost on me. And I do spend a lot of times on the script. Um, but, you know, whether it, it, it shows up on screen in the end, um, just I guess only the audience can really decide. Well, I enjoyed the pinch a lot. And I saw that there was okay, a lot well, of themes you. about relationship and Quite a lot of other themes than just being a mobster. So I, I enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. So to, since we're uh, uh, coming towards the end of the podcast, um, one of the last questions is, uh, many of my listeners are in Finland or in overseas. They probably have already worked a little bit in the creative field or not. But anyway, how can how to come to Hollywood and be in your position or how to make it in Hollywood? How to come here from somewhere else? As a yeah, filmmaker I mean, or creative. So, yeah. So there's a couple pieces to that. And um, just so your listeners know, I just interviewed you on my podcast right before this. And you made a point on that podcast, which I think is excellent and people need to listen to it, is that you... In Fin or in Finland, you got some acting gigs, and so you had a reel. When you showed up in Hollywood, you had some experience. And I can't emphasize this enough. I mean, if you're a young person, you're getting out of college, you don't have a lot of responsibilities. I think that's a golden opportunity just to pack your shit up and come to LA. I don't know that there's, you know, there's not going to be a moment in your life where where it's things. And so if you don't have experience at that moment, that's probably okay. Come to LA and get the experience in LA. But I think if if you're, if you're a little bit older or if you can get some experience outside of LA, I would highly advise that because it's you you think, oh, there's so much production in LA and there's so many opportunities in LA. And there is. But you also have a gazillion people trying to get those opportunities. And so 
I think you're going to have more luck in your local community, your local filmmaking community. Now, a lot of people, I get these emails all the time from people. Oh, my local community, they're, they're, you know, they're too, they're too, or they're too, um, they're too clickish. You know, they don't let other outsiders in. You can't break into the local community, this and that. It's like, I mean, they're going to, you're going to feel the same way when you get to Hollywood. No one is just welcoming people with open arms. Okay. You know, screenwriters over here, actors over here, you know, directors over here. No, you got to come here. You're going to be fighting it out here. And I get a lot of emails from people overseas. And I can't emphasize this enough. And you, I'd, I'd actually like to hear your opinion on this because you do have an accent. And especially as an actor, your English is very, very good. But you do have an accent. And that had to have been influenced somewhat with your acting gigs. And I get a lot of emails from people that are from outside of the L.A. And I can tell from their emails that they, their English is not perfect. And, and I can tell that their scripts are probably not perfect. And I... I'm not trying to offend anybody. I'm not things, but you know, you literally have the best writers on the planet Earth here in Hollywood. So that's who you're competing against. You're literally competing against the best writers on the planet Earth. So think about that for a minute. If you want to go play basketball, you're going to play against LeBron James. So you're, this isn't the minor leagues out here in Hollywood. So if you show up in Hollywood and you have a screenplay that is not written in perfect English, I can't see a producer even getting past the first page. And so I think you really need to think, if, you're, if, you, if, if English is a second language, I can't emphasize enough, look at your local community. Break into your local community. Make films locally because in those cases, the fact that, you're, that you don't speak English, it's going to be an advantage because you're going to speak the local language and you're going to relate to the local people. So I definitely think you should definitely do that. And I've written some blog posts and I actually have some pat responses. I get so many of these emails. I have some pat responses that I just send out. And that's the two things. Look locally. And then the second article I wrote was, because I always get people come back, oh, you don't understand. It's I can't break in locally. Yeah, dude, you don't understand how hard it is to break in in Hollywood. Like, I guarantee you, it's easier to break in in your local community than it is in Hollywood. So, don't think that going to the major leagues is going to somehow be easier. So, that's my first, first piece of advice. If you have some commitments, if you're, you're living a full life in another city, even if it's in the United States and you speak perfect English, spend some time doing local shorts. Almost every college in this day and age has a film program. Go to those film programs and say, hey, I'm an actor or I'm a writer. Do, does any of your directing majors need scripts? Just network. Go to local film festivals. Meet film local filmmakers and just try and do a few things. If you can't do that, get your iPhone and shoot a short with your iPhone and edit it on your computer and just submit it to some film festivals. Just start to do some stuff. Write some scripts. Enter contests. You just A lot of the stuff you can do before you get to LA. And in this day and age, you can do like almost 80% of it. Now, I'm a firm believer in moving to LA. I do get those people, oh, I've heard you can make a, you can be a screenwriter from anywhere in the world. And yes, you can. And there's examples. I actually had Chris Sparling. He's a screenwriter, screenwriter that wrote Barry. I had him on my podcast. I think I've actually had him on twice. Um, but he's a guy that lives in Rhode Island. He broke in while living in Rhode Island. He continues to live in Rhode Island. So there are examples of successful pe people in the business living outside. But those are really the exceptions. And mostly what you find is people, like if you want the, the template that works for most screenwriters or even directors, I would say, maybe directors, I don't know, but I'll, I'll speak for screenwriters since I have a lot of experience in that. The template, like if you want your best chance at being a, a high-level, studio-level screenwriter, your best chance is move to L.A., 
Get some sort of a low-level job in the business, whether that's an assistant, getting coffee, reading scripts. Just get a job in the business. Network, meet people, work your way up in that job. Do a good job. Show people that you're smart and competent and tell people, oh, I'm also a screenwriter. Write on the weekends and then you'll, you'll slowly make connections. And, and if your writing is good enough and you, you've made enough connections, then hopefully things will start to turn your way. That's like just the tried and true template. And it can work for anybody, but it requires a couple things. Number one, you're going to need the writing talent, but the big thing it really requires is you have to be in a place in your life that you can go take this low-level job, and that's not, a lot of people are not in a position where they can they can go and, and work for next to no money. They have a family or they're, they're at a place in their careers where they just simply can't do that. So then it's sort of like, well, what is the next question? I still think being in LA is a great opportunity. I was in a writer's group for years. I kind of backed off because I I haven't been doing a lot of writing lately, um, but it's a great, you know, a writer's group in LA, it's easy to find other good writers that are serious. If you're in Nebraska and you try and form a screenwriting group, you'll be able to do it. You'll find screenwriters, but how serious are most of them? You know, they're in Nebraska, you know, no offense in Nebraska, but if you're really serious about making movies, you're not in Nebraska. You're moving out to LA at some point. And there, I, I can guarantee you, there are some really talented filmmakers in Nebraska, but finding them is going to be a lot harder because there's only three of them, you know, over the whole state. So you're just going to have a lot more just sort of very subtle, nuanced opportunities. Um, I'll give you an example, just a real, another real world example of living in LA. Um, I do adventure YMC adventure guides with my two daughters and um, one of the other dads in there with one of his daughters he's a producer and um, you know I got to know him and so and, and I just I literally just emailed him this morning I'm running a screenwriting contest through selling your screenplay I'm now I've got the um, quarter finalist so I just emailed him I've never really talked business with him but I just emailed hey are you ever looking for material I just ran this contest I got you know a list of 30 scripts that have all been vetted and, and are pretty good you want to take a look at some log lines he said sure so, you know, you're not going to get that sort of stuff in Nebraska. You know, it's just, you're not going to ran. I mean, you might, but it's very unusual. Whereas in LA, you're running into people in the business all the time, just in your day-to-day -day life. And so, you know, and these sort of very subtle, nuanced connections, those can actually amount to something. Um, so, I don't know, that kind of answers maybe two points, but LA is a big thing, but if you're not in LA, I definitely would try and get some experience. Um, and eventually, eventually, you're going to need to move to LA, but you're definitely going to need to get some experience and especially if English is not your first language. Really, really spend some time honing those skills and building up a resume. But I'd be curious to hear your thoughts. How was doing auditions and acting with your accent? Well, it's still ongoing thing. I, I can only play foreign roles, but I can do Russian accent, German accent. I can play quite a variety yeah, of yeah. foreign people. And the European, yeah, Eastern, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, ideally, so. I would sound american but it's not happening now and it's gonna take a couple of years at least yeah. if it's ever yeah. going to and happen I, yeah and i applaud though you went back you know to finland to make your feature and then again the language was an issue and that's that's not a that's a really smart idea because you just you know for instance when i was doing the pinch um the 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 guy that we cast as the bad guy was from from the uk so he had a slight british accent i didn't write it that i actually wrote it as sort of like an armenian la armenian los angeles gangster um but once i got him on he was like oh i can lose i can do an american accent i was like yeah on a low budget film 
you know, we don't have the, the, the script uh, coordinated. We don't have enough, like, you can't be going in and out of this, this accent. So I was like, no, you know what? Let's change the script. We'll just use your UK accent. We'll write into the script. Then we don't even have to think about it. So you've got to just think about some of these things as sort of on a practical level. And I think you got over that hurdle very easily by going back to Finland and shooting this, this movie in Finnish. Um, and, 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 and nobody questions it. That's your native language. And so it sounds perfect. Yes, and I ha- thank you. And I, I and I have a final question for you. If people sure. want to follow you, or uh, what work of yours would you like to promote? Yeah, yeah, sure. So I, I, to be honest with you, my weekly podcast is probably the thing that I'm most consistent with. So definitely check that out, sellingyourscreenplay.com. Um, just go there and I publish it on the podcast. You can find it everywhere, podcasts on iTunes. You can find it on YouTube, obviously. But I mean, just in terms of filmmaking, I will have the Rideshare Killer done. You know, we're going to go through film festivals. I, with COVID, I don't know what we'll do with festivals, but we will go to distributors. But we're almost done post, but I would say it'll probably still take another year before it actually filters out into distribution. So definitely keep an eye out for that. But if anything I've said resonates with you and you want to see something I've done, check out The Pinch. Again, it's on Amazon Prime. Um, I think it's available for transactional too. You could pay the $2.99 and watch it. But if you have Amazon Prime, um, you can just watch it using your subscription for no additional money. This was great. Thank you, Ashley Scott Myers. Thank you. No, thank you, Miska. This was fun. Um, it was good to answer your questions, good questions, and uh, I wish you luck with your films, and um, we'll definitely stay in touch. Thank you for listening to this episode of With Miska Podcast, and please check out Ashley Scott Meyer's podcast, SellingYourScreenplay.com, and also his film The Pinch. And uh, Insanity, our film, it's out streaming, or you can get the DVD. Have a good day, and talk to you soon.